And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to Starkville. Baseball Hall of Famer Jason Stark. And then the robot said, strike. That's why you're going in the Hall of Fame. It's an inside the park home run. Doug Gladwell. Mike Trout is coffee at Starbucks with a double latte skinny. Doug, are you ready to make some podcast magic? I am ready. Bring on the magic wand. Let's do it. <laughs> Greetings and welcome to Starkville. I'm Jason Stark. I write about baseball for The Athletic. And I am joined once again by my good friend, writer, broadcaster, professor, distinguished former major leaguer, and the voice of Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN Radio, Doug Glanville. Yes. Doug you're here. I'm just doing hand you're gestures here. now. You know, from, you know, you know, I figure we're, we're, Notice we're on video now and we can do signs stealing third. Uh, yeah, I'm here. I, I, you know, I'm just, I'm going for it, man. Um, that's it. I, I'm I, often in a different I, state, like hours before this. It's really cool. <laughs> it's almost like there was some invention that would allow you to get from one state to another state in just a few hours. Uh, it, it, that's a really handy invention for somebody like you, because if you listen to this show regularly, what do you know about Doug? He's doing the show on no sleep. <laughs> Doug has just climbed off yet another red eye. He was in Arizona Sunday night with ESPN. So, Doug, I, I was thinking about this. I would like you to give people one tip, just one now, for surviving flying overnight through the sky, and then functioning when you get off the magic thing that takes you there. So just just one, okay? So something meaningful can come from this other than you leading the league in sleep deprivation. Well, you know, I'll tell you, I talk to my colleagues at ESPN all the time during these games, and I insist that we need to write a book about, like, travel stories uh, from broadcaster <laughs> land or something, because it's hilarious. Yeah, uh, I want to make a yeah. note that Eduardo Perez, and he says Perez, but I, I it's Perez, but you know he says Perez. You know I, I'm working on that. Right. But I'm going to say Eduardo Perez, <laughs> and he is in the Million Mile Club for I forgot what airline. Um, it is amazing. Um, that's we should all aspire to that if we're in this industry, because uh, he it's like concierge. So. So that's one way to make it easy, uh, you know, almost get to the level where you're practically your own private jet. Uh, so that, since that's not going to happen for most of us, it's not going to happen for me, certainly. Um, you know, the, the tidbit I say is this, uh, put your phone away, because if you get your phone out, you're going to be tempted to watch some sort of movie, and it's going to cut into your sleep. You have to get on the plane, completely go to sleep right away, ignore everybody around you, put on a hoodie like I do like this right? 
That's it. Disappear and capture every minute of sleep you can. Uh, I invest in an incredible pillow, whatever it takes, and then make sure you sleep. Don't fight it. Don't try to get food. Don't get snacks. Just shut down. And then you might get like four hours because, of course, there's no non-stops to Hartford. I mean, barely. So I got to connect somewhere. <laughs> so my rule of thumb, if, if there's another, if there's two legs, I take the first one as long as possible so I can get sleep on that one. And then, the, you know, by then it's like 6, 7 a.m. And then I just, you know, fly home. So today was, um, I don't even know where I was. I, where was I? I was in, where was I? Phoenix. Yes. So I was in Phoenix. Yeah. And then I went straight to Atlanta, got my sleep, boom, home. Uh, you know, so I try to do that. Now, I, you know, a lot of guys try to split the bait, you know, come in the middle of the, nope, don't do that. Don't do the two and a half, two and a half. You'll never get any sleep. That's a mistake. And then don't get too close to your city because then you get like the small plane and it's all a mess and you don't, you don't get that. No, you got to go like, you got to be about two hours away and you got to fly like four plus hours and accept the extra hour because that's sleep. Uh, and that's about the best I can do. I feel pretty good. I slept the whole way. And uh, I will collapse because it's, it's not the first day that hits you. It's the second day. That's what gets that's you. Right. And then I start to speak in German at this point because I don't know what I'm saying. So that's, that's <laughs> it. Tidbits from That's my travel log. Yeah. Okay. Here, here's, here's my little tip for you. Always try to remember where you are. Okay? Like... <laughs> You, you didn't seem to have any recollection of the fact that you were in Phoenix. Okay, I think that's a problem because if you don't remember where you were, it means you might not remember where you're going and that can cause all kinds of problems. <laughs> okay, so wherever you're going, go there. Okay, don't go to some other place. That's another travel tip for you from Starkville. <laughs> okay, <laughs> all right. And I have more good news. The season's almost over, which means for Doug Glanville, the red-eye season is also almost over. Hey, hey, Doug, I'm not sure if you heard about this, but the Red Sox were in the news last week for doing that thing they do every three or four years, <laughs> always in the middle of the season. Uh, they let go another guy who was running their baseball operation, uh, this time Heim Bloom, former guest of ours. Uh, Heim had quite a run of uh, 1,417 days. And nobody that I know had more of a sense of where it all went wrong for him than our friend Dan Shaughnessy, the legendary columnist for the Boston Globe. So let's welcome him to Starkville. Dan, thanks for joining us, my friend. Anything for you, Jason. How you doing? Great, buddy. Um Hey, listen, Dan, when the Red Sox announced that they had Canheim, that was what, last Thursday afternoon, one of the first things I thought of was, I cannot wait to read Dan Shaughnessy tomorrow. <laughs> and as, as always, you, di you didn't disappoint. Um, so let's talk about that column. You, you wrote something that I've, I've heard you say and write before, um, that Heim was not ready or equipped to run a big market team. So... Uh, here's a loaded question. What gave you that impression? Well, first of all, I really like Heim Bloom, and, and yeah. he he'll he'll work again, and he'll he'll be good. I just think he wasn't ready for this particular uh, job yet, and and it was he was put in an impossible situation, so those things worked against him, um, and those things really aren't his fault. 
you know, there was a misconception locally that he ran the Rays and he was responsible for everything the Rays did. He was not. He was of the Rays. He, he you know, came into baseball with that, but he didn't run the Rays. And, and I'm not sure he should be running anything in terms of running a department in Major League Baseball team, especially in a big market with all the, the walls closed in like you have around here. Um, and, you know, so at, at the end, he was indecisive. I mean, that that's something you can't be. He was never a big, bold thinker. He was slow to pull the trigger. Other teams got fed up with that. They weren't waiting around. We'll go somewhere else. You're know, dealing with 29 teams. Yeah. And that that was not a good trait that we were unaware of, you know, when he got the job. And they didn't do a lot of diligence on this hire. It was done quickly. And uh, I, I don't really know why. But he did what they asked him to do, which is drive down the payroll. They went from 1 to 13 in payroll. And, and then he rebuilt the farm system. You know, David traded a lot of guys. Dave didn't trade many guys that, that turned out to be good, in fairness to Dave. Uh, but right. I think the system was rated low. And the one thing about Heim rebuilding the system, they still don't have any pitchers in that system that's ranked so high. I think Baseball America's got them up to five, but there's no pitchers in that system uh, that, that are a threat to, to help them. And the people that are on the team contributing were all Dave guys. Bayo, Dunn, excuse me, uh, Duran, Bayo, Casas, they're all Dave guys, including uh, Raphael, the guy they just called up, all brought in under Dabrowski during his his regime. So anyway, um, Himes put in this position, and the first thing, that you got to trade Mookie Betts. Well, that's not his fault. He would not have chosen to do that. That was a mandate. He did it, and he didn't get enough. And they kind of had a gun to his head. There wasn't a lot of teams that would afford that. He had to put price in the deal to have them take some salary there. And I came away with, you know, one guy who's already been released and then Connor Wong, who looks like a career, maybe a 240 hitter, who's, you know, a smallish catcher who's okay. And um, and average Al Verdugo, as we call him, you know, who's, <laughs> who the manager can't stand and, and I believe will be traded, you know, because he's, he's just – we won't end well. You know, he's got skills. I like some of what he does, you know. He chokes up for one thing. I love that. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, you know, just – hasn't been the dynamic player that you need to get when you trade Mookie Betts. So all those things, all those things worked against Heim. But again, a, a good and decent guy who who will be be an asset, be a farm director, analytics operative, whatever, and you know work his way back into a position that he had here. Yeah, look, we'll run through all of that in a little more detail. But l- l- let me ask you about the the good and decent guy part. Um, you know, Heim once told me that you and he had a very cordial relationship, other very. than the part where you thought he was over his head <laughs> running the yeah, baseball well, team, mean, right? So I've never actually asked you about that. Could you, what was your relationship like with Heim? It's, I've talked to my wife about this just down in the kitchen a little bit ago. I mean, the guy is, I really like him. Yeah. And, you know, he lives pretty nearby. He's got little kids that play ball. My grandsons are in the same league with them. He would send me a text and say, I heard you were scouting the Giants and Padres today. And it was the Giants Pirates like T-ball and fall ball <laughs> here in Newton, you know, and just, uh, you know, never, never took anything personal. That's hard to do. It can't be any fun to be on the other end of, of our stuff. And I understand that. And, you know, I mean, I go back, you know, Lou Gorman, Dan Duquette, you know, Theo, Ben, Dave, you know, and it's very hard not to personalize that. It would, it would piss me off. I wouldn't like it. I understand that, but he, he never took it personally. Um, and, Jason, a rare, I, I really believe the, the level of his devotion to his religion, I, I believe he cannot tell a lie. And that's unusual in the business. And I mean, when, when he made the best trade at the press conference, I said, well, okay, 
welcome to Boston. You just traded Mookie Betts. So uh, are you, are you, you think you're going to be worse this year? <laughs> he said, yeah, we'll probably be worse. I mean, you, you know, you don't put that on bumper stickers for the campaign for the 2020 <laughs> season, but it was honest and it was true and they were worse. They went right to last place. So um, I just, I love that kind of honesty. And, and you could tell when you had him on something he didn't want to reveal, he would be appropriately evasive, but he would never, he would, he just, I believe he never lied to us. And, I mean, even Lou Gorman did that. Lou was a greater guy than Lou Gorman. Yeah, yeah, got a lie in the job. I mean, they all do it. Lou was not going to tell you what he had for lunch. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. So, well, Dan, I mean, you know, I want to sort of ask about the the narrative about you know not having you know being prepared for a certain kind of market. And I'm going to use Jay Bruce as an as as an example. You know, Jay Bruce was at the Mets. You know, towards the end of his career. And he was struggling. And then he kind of went off saying, you know, I'm tired of people saying, you know, I can't play in New York. And, you know, it's like sometimes he just doesn't align. And if and it, would it be different if Bloom like, finished strong and, and got to the postseason this year and, you know, made it to the ALCS or whatever? Um, so I guess what is it about that kind of narrative about, like, the formula around being able to survive a certain kind of market? And how, how do you kind of underscore that you know sometimes it's just the, the timing and the circumstances and the market like i played in philadelphia and i'm a pretty low, low-key guy and yeah. it's like but yeah. you know it's like so i so i'm just curious if you could speak to that no it's, it's a good question and it's, it's relevant to what you guys are doing here i mean philadelphia much like boston it's very personal here you know and and it, it makes it it makes it difficult so when you're in this market they're not about to stand and they, they don't want to be told it's a rebuilding year Ever, you, you, because you know it's a big market and the funds are there, so there's no excuse, you know, to to have the, you know, and and Theo learned his lesson the hard way. Theo, to one year, told us I think it was going into ten, it was going to be a bridge year, and he will never use that word again ever. I mean, it's, it's a <laughs> local joke now, but he did use it at the winter meetings, and just got annihilated for the bridge year, and that's why in eleven they went out and they stocked, but they got Gonzalez, they got Crawford, they. they they just they loaded up, thought they had the greatest team of all time because they were not going to like have the fans push back or have the media push back on a bridge year. You can't get away with that in this market. No one's in a mood for patience or rebuilding. And it's just created a kind of a, a tough making the seat even hotter. And of course, now they're going to finish last for the third time in four years and the, and the sixth time in 12 years. Those are the numbers I use. I mean, they use we've won four championships in this century <laughs> more than anybody else. That's true. But the pivot after the 18th season is is serious. And, I mean, no team has finished last. They are the major league leaders in finishing last in the last 12 years, the Boston Red Sox. Amazing. Hey, look, before we get into the really meaty stuff here, I, I've got a question that's been on my mind. Why do the Red Sox do every firing in the middle of the season <laughs> always on game day okay they fired dave dombrowski during a game ben sherrington during a game ron renicky was the manager in between the two alex Coristins. he was getting ready to do his meeting with the media before the game and got banged so like what is up with that is this to create must-see nesson programming or something uh, well, I think, you know, see, Dave, don't forget, Dave, they won like 118 games in 2018, you know, and <laughs> right. and and Dave uh, wanted some clarity about his situation. I had written Dave's in trouble because they only won like 84, 86 in 2019, and they had the highest payroll in baseball. 
and uh, and Dave had signed sale to the five year, hundred fifty million dollar contract right before he needed Tommy John surgery. So you had all you know. So it wasn't a, a swell summer here in 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 two thousand nineteen. And Dave, I wrote there, he's in trouble. And it sounded ridiculous because they just won 118 games, whatever it was. They had one of the dominant teams in history in 2018. And uh, Dave, it was a double, it was a Yankee game. I think it was a Sunday or Monday night. It was, it was a big NFL game. We were all down for the Patriot opener. And I think Dave pounded his fist and said he wanted some clarity in the situation. So he got it. You know, uh, he got the clarity he was looking for. And, and he packed up his stuff and left in mid-game. Uh, I, that's how that one happened. Um, the Patriot, the, the Ben one, I can't remember. It was 2015, and, and you know they had they had won in 13. They won the World Series and then finished last in 14 and 15. And John Farrell had cancer. There was just it was a very messy uh, situation uh, that one. But you know, uh, John Henry, uh, there, there's a, in my view, there's some disinterest at the top. They don't care about it as much as they did. They do care about perceptions. They care about making money. And you got. Tom Warner, who's kind of a needy figure, as y'all know, and uh, wants to inject himself into it, um, and so they do these things. But none of the none of the, the guys you just mentioned have lasted a full four years. They all right. were gone in the fourth year, couldn't quite make it to the finish line. And the Heim thing, this one was. There's been some bad optics the last three weeks. You know, they did nothing at the deadline again. That was problematic because I think they were a game and a half or two from the wild card at that point. You know, the illusion of contention, which they love here, that went away. And they've just been – and then the Mets came in and took over Fenway with their fans. And the Braves came in and took over Fenway with their fans. The Dodgers came in and took over Fenway. That never used to happen here, Jason. You know that. Oh, yeah. And uh, I think that was embarrassing to them. And they had that weird game with uh, Bearclaw, the, the, the kid who was pitching in the Pioneer League. And, and they actually gave up on a game in which they were leading. Um, against Houston, the team that was directly ahead of them. And Alex had no pitching, and he made it very clear by le- leaving this guy in to take one of the great beatdowns in history. And they were ahead of the second inning he was pitching when they gave up and didn't put anybody in the bullpen as 10 or 11 or 12 runs were scored. I mean, it was remarkable. It was They were leading the game, and they were two games behind Houston in the wild card. Right, and so nobody warmed up, right? There no. no- <laughs> there was no – and Al- Alex, Alex basically told the world – this is what they're giving me tonight. I got nobody, you know, short of putting Trevor's story in the mound or something. And and I'm gonna I'm gonna show you all. And that's what he did. And uh, and I think it came down to kind of it, it's either me or or Hein. They're both going into the last year of the contract. I think the culmination of those embarrassments led up to it. But I will tell you this, Jason. I mean, the timing of it was even worse. It was the eve of the Jewish high holidays, which I'm not totally versed in but i got a lot of pushback for readers that's a good point and and it was it was thursday and uh, i mean i i'm not equipped to explain the the gravitas of, of this of the holiday situation but and for a guy who's as devout as time is i mean i and where's tom warner on that one like he didn't notice tom was in the meeting when <laughs> when they they did this Where, where's tom wow <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I hadn't even, I didn't, I wasn't even going to go there, but I did, I, I haven't. It hasn't really been written. I might get a paragraph in this weekend, but I mean, yeah, yeah I got a lot of pushback from our readers went there. I can tell you that. Oh, I can imagine. You know, like I, there's, there's a lot to get into with just Heim himself, but I mean, you've talked a lot about ownership, so we should do that, okay? Um, 
Before we do, do you need to mention that John Henry also owns your newspaper, or do you want me to take care of that? <laughs> I mean, we mention it every time, every, every column of the year. It's like it's it's one of the it's an unprecedented situation in the history of journalism that that the man who owns the team owns the paper. It's usually the other way around. We've had that in Chicago with the Cubs and you know the the TV station with the Braves, and all that. But in other situations, the media outlet owned the team. Basically, in this case, the team owns the media outlet. Yeah. And that's what we've got here. And uh, it never goes away. And uh, it was a, a stunning development that happened in 2013. And, you know, it's it's not been a party starter in my office or at my house. It's because it's it puts everybody in an awkward position where there's a conflict of interest. that's inherent and you can't get around it or deny it. So we we confronted every time we mentioned who also owns the globe, etc. Um, but, you know, it's it's super awkward for me. I was. I've never been really in favor with ownership. And uh, and then when Francona got fired, I did the book with Francona, which I think he didn't even like me that much. But I think hiring me to be the co-author scared the hell out of them. And I think that uh, that's what he was looking for. And because uh, when I reached out to Terry and said, hey, sorry, you got fired. You want to do a book together? He said, no, and not with you, you know. And uh, <laughs> but, but he came around when they started to, you know, the bad things came out that, that were planted in the media about him and his personal stuff and all that. And uh, he got very angry. And I think I served a purpose at that point moving forward. And then and then after that, while the book was in production, John bought the team. I bought the Globe, excuse me. John Henry bought the Globe while that book was in production. Wow. Timing. At which point, you know, I called the uh, the IT department to come. It was like the first scene of Argo when they were breaking the hard drives and <laughs> shredding, shredding documents and barricading your office. That that was me at the Globe when John bought, when John bought the Globe. Okay, so Dan, uh, you're under arrest. Okay, <laughs> but assuming that 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 the door doesn't get broken down while we're talking, we'll keep going through this. Thank you. Thank you. So. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I, I, did did John Henry and Tom Warner overreact to Dave Dombrowski? Um, I mean, Doug played in Philadelphia. I still live in Philadelphia, as everyone knows. The owner in Philly, John Middleton, loves Dave. He's empowered Dave to do what Dave loves to do. Not just spend money, but build a team of stars and in a related development with star power that yeah. the team... I'm sorry, the town loves. Okay, so what was it about the Dave Dombrowski method of GMing that the Red Sox owners hated so much 
that they had to fire him less than a year after they won the World Series. Well, again, I think the sale contract came up in the spring of, of, of 19. So sale gets the last out of the World Series. The strikeout of Machado cost them $150 million. You know, sale came out of the bullpen and struck out the side because Kimbrell had just right. was so nervous he couldn't be used in those situations. And so sale ended up being the guy who finished the World Series. Famous picture, Machado's down on one knee. Everybody here loved that. It was a great thing. And then in the spring, and Sale had, if you go back and look at Sale numbers in, in, in 18, it was it was declining. It was very obvious to everyone um, that this was going the wrong way. And they've gotten, I mean, it's not Strasburg level, but it's, it's gotten no yield for this five-year deal because the deal didn't go into effect until 20. He was already signed for 19, and he did a few things that year, but it was there was no useless anyway and i think that they they held that against dave and said why are we spent you know in 19 they said why do we have the top payroll in all of baseball and we're not making the playoffs there's and uh, tom warner said this they pivoted in 19 and they and tom warner at the press conference which was a couple weeks after they fired dave said you know we've looked at this and their team's spending half as much that are in the playoffs and that's what they want to become a team that spends half as much and has the illusion of contention every year because there's Seven teams are going, and uh, and that's what they want to be now. Well, can you talk to, about Alex Cora and all this? Because, you know, all right, you know, he had, you know, he's going to stay. There's a sort of interview process. Uh, obviously, a lot of controversy was swirling around uh, everything that happened in Houston, uh, and yet, you know, he sort of, you know, he outlasts, you know, Heim Bloom. And I mean, where where does he fit in this equation? Just understanding the Red Sox point of view or how they're operating. Well, that's a very important part of it, Doug, and because you know Alex, Alex is not going to badmouth anybody. But the signs were there that it was kind of either either me or him kind of thing. You know, Heim said they were underdogs at the deadline. Nobody wants to hear the Red Sox are underdogs because uh, of the the sources they have here and the attendance they have and everything. And Alex started wearing an underdogs T-shirt around the clubhouse and whatnot. And um, the messages he sent in the, those give up games, you know, the Bear Claw game, and there was another one against Kansas City, they, they were down 13 to one and Alex did the same thing. Um, so the messages were there, I think, and they were both going into the last year. But what's weird about this is that, you know, there's, there's certainly a, an undercurrent of Alex eventually being in the front office, either with them or someone else. So it's not out of the realm that he could succeed high. I don't think that's going to happen, nor do I think it should. I think he's great in the dugout, sees a lot of things, players respect him. And uh, I think he's a really good manager. I think, you should have been up for manager of the year having these guys over 500 all year, in my view. I mean, it, it just was a team not built to win one of the worst defensive base running teams you'll ever see. And they had them nine games over at one point. So um, I think he's really good to dug out. But he won this power struggle, in my view, and that gives him some gravitas. And he wants pitching this offseason, and they're going to have to spend for it. So that's what's so interesting about who they bring in and what the philosophy is going to be because they don't have prospects to give up. Well, I mean, they do have prospects to give up, but the MO has been can't touch any of these guys. Um, and they don't have any pitching prospects. They're going to have to, they're going to have to pay for pitching. And that's what Alex Cora wants them to do. So that's going to be interesting how much power he has as they go to this off season. Yeah. Hey, I, I want to circle back to Mookie. You know, I was actually yeah. in Boston for one of those uh, Peter Gammon's hot stove, cool music extravaganzas when that trade went down. And 
it was incredible <laughs> to be around people who cared about the Red Sox in that moment in time because that deal, as you know, hit everyone like Aaron Boone's homer, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so <laughs> then uh, Mookie comes back and plays baseball in Fenway for the first time since the trade, right? He comes back as a returning hero. And it felt like it didn't just remind everyone of how great a baseball player he was. It reminded everyone sitting in that park that the team they care about yeah. didn't do what it took to hold on to a player like that. And I, I mean, as you've said, Heim was ordered to make that trade, but in, in some way, can we connect the dots from Mookie's return and that atmosphere over those three days to this firing? It was a very embarrassing weekend for them. You know, oddly, the, the first game of that series, Mookie's first game back, was one of those goofy, either Peacock or some network. It wasn't on their network. So they have, <laughs> they have all these people paying a billion dollars for their extra cable package to get Nesson. And then the games, and, you know, the old people don't pay attention. We try to tell them there's not going to be a game on this Friday night. <laughs> right. When you turn it on, it won't be there. You know, you, you can never train the the, the, the the regular viewers, and I'm one of them. Uh, get ready. That's not going to be on. And it was the Friday night Mookie game when he came back and they're like, now it looks like you're hiding something. Like no one's going to notice, you know? And, uh, and Jason, you'll like that. We call that the wrecking ball tour. I mean, Mookie came in, he got like a hundred hits in the three games. I mean, he was throwing guys out from right field. And it was like, it was a tour de force, you know, the whole weekend. And it really sent them into a spiral from which they've not recovered. I mean, they, that was it. And, uh, national TV on Sunday night, the whole thing, it was, it was, it was delicious. So, uh, yeah, I think your point is, is well taken. And the Dodger fans took over that weekend because Fenway fans kind of either gave up and sold their tickets or didn't go, whatever. And it was, uh, it was a, you know, I never heard Fenway in that much in favor of the visitors as it was that weekend. Amazing. And it was the Dodgers. You know, you know um, I'm not sure that making trades was Heim's thing. Uh, other yeah. teams didn't like dealing with him. You know, it seemed like he, yeah. he viewed every – trade discussion as an equity exchange. And yeah. I've always felt, not just about him, if you look at baseball trades that way, you would never do anything because sometimes you have to overpay or at least you have to give up more than you would prefer to give up. Is is that an accurate depiction of Haim in those moments? From all the feedback that we hear, yes. And the teams got tired of it. I, I thought he should have I said sell at the deadlines, you know, trade Paxson. Paxson had value at the deadline. He was left-handed. He was come back. He had a, a nice run, run of starts. Someone would have given up for him. Duval, Turner, I mean, these guys aren't going to be part of the next period of success of the Red Sox. And I just – they had value at that time. And I believe, uh, yeah, he, he got paralyzed by that, and I think that's part of it. There is one. Go back. The, the Vasquez one, which he got hammered for, the trade in Vasquez – in the deadline a year before right um the guy abreu they got in that is pretty good i think he's 24 years old he's venezuelan he's an outfielder and he's not like all their touted guys casas Duran, but i think heim's legacy that's an everyday player i think he's pretty good i, I like him a lot and uh, he got him in the vasquez deal and of course i don't pay attention like you guys to these prospects and stuff i didn't know but subsequently i'm like hey i left 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 that guy behind abreu's pretty good so Maybe in, in in retrospect he'll be viewed better on that one because but I think you're right there was a, there was a concept of winning the deal 
you know, I mean, Belichick does that. He hoards all these fourth round picks and he's got to, you know, <laughs> I mean, you got to, you know, Danny Ainge did that too. You got to win the deal. And uh, as, as you say, you can have deals with both teams win and it's good for everybody. So Dan, do you, do you see, um, you know, the elements of Bloom we talked about, like the, the good man in terms of how he uh, tried to, you know, address culture around Major League Baseball, you know, through the Boston Red Sox, you know, because he was also, you know, at the helm with George Floyd, you know, a whole, a whole lot of things were happening in, in our country. And he, he did some things that were also very yeah. kind of bold, right? He, he, he outlined some of the incidents that happened at Fenway Park. He put it on, you know, social media, put a big Black Lives Matter sign over the Mass Pike. And um, so you think those elements will stay, you know, could this be part of his legacy that's kind of invisible in the shadows a little bit because of the fact that, you know, we focus on the X's and O's on the field. But Haim definitely tried to take a social consciousness to his work. He definitely did. He's all about that. I, I don't think he'll get any credit for that as a legacy. I think ownership kind of steps in. And in, in, in fairness, I believe ownership, you know, was every bit, if not more, sensitive to those issues. I think the Red Sox ownership are they come up they come up very big in this area. I think as much as I go at them about certain things, I think that they're they're strong. I think you know Sam Kennedy, you know John Tom, you know. Yeah, I mean, when Adam Jones had issues at Fenway Park and stuff, I think ownership backed him in a big way and uh, and 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 owned it and talked to their own players and said, "What are you guys hearing? You know, this guy's not making it up, is he?" And no, no, and and you know, there's you get pushed back on the radio shows and all the stuff around here, but I thought that the franchise stood tall in that moment and that time was certainly part of it. But he'll never get credit for that. His best bet is uh, is Abreu and guys like that and the farm system. If 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 these guys, you know. I mean, they got Mayer, the shortstop, you know, supposedly on the rise, and he was a number four pick. And when those guys get to the big leagues, he'll get credit for those things. I don't think he'll get credit for the stuff you, you've mentioned, but it's certainly he was a very big part of that because, again, such a good guy. Uh, Dan, let's look into the future, okay? What do we see moving forward? Um, I, I, I know one thing. Theo isn't coming back. Okay? Nope. And a lot, of, a lot of the names that I saw thrown out there felt very Heimlich to be honest. And, yeah. you know, the first rule of baseball hirings and firings is when you fire one manager or one general manager, you hire the opposite. Right. But, but who is that? Jeff Lunau? <laughs> right. They And, you know, they've done that since Theo left. You know, I mean, well, Ben was kind of a, a, a Theo, but then Dave was the opposite of Ben. And then Heim was the opposite of Dave. So it's sort of, you'd go back to, like you say, go back to the Dave type. That's not happening. No one's going to have that kind of unilateral ability to spend money, trade, trade prospects. That's over here. I don't, they're not getting back to that. So uh, I don't know what they will get back to. And that's, that's what's so intriguing about this. You know, some of the names, um, you know, Antonetti's name that comes out there and, you know, everybody has he's so much respect for him, but he's worked with Terry Francona for 12 years and Tito just loves him. I can't imagine that after everything he's heard from Tito, he's coming here. I, I just, agree. you know, I agree. Well, Med yeah. Thibodeau may retire at some point or whatever. He, uh, yeah. However, he comes <laughs> off the field. So that, that might be yeah, what it takes. Yeah, we're going to miss him. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah, we're, we're going to have him on the next edition of this show. So, Oh, God, tell him hello. Guys... I love you. He's, he's the greatest. We could, we could tell Tito stories all day. Yeah, we could. Because he's got you, his you... Philly history. Yeah, like you know, he was my neighbor when he lived here, so that was that was quite a thing. Uh, yeah, this is anyway. a dig- 
Can I digress and give you one Tito story since we have oh, the Philly, please. The Philly connection Absolutely. here? Absolutely. Do you know the one about when they win the World Series and and uh, so they win the World Series in 04 and you know he's he never gets over his Philly years because you know they slash his tires and fan, appreci- fan appreciation <laughs> day and you know he couldn't even go back and scout <laughs> behind the backstop and all the stuff like that. It's just, you know it's it's hilarious. <laughs> And, uh, you know, of course, he's a Pennsylvania guy and the whole thing. So he's driving to spring training, as he always does, in 05. And he's on 95, barreling down toward Fort Myers. And he's he starts seeing all these, you know, SUVs and, and Winnebago's festooned with, with Eagles flags and stuff. And they're driving north. They're going the other way. And he realizes they've just left Jacksonville to drive home from the Super Bowl. <laughs> where the Patriots got him, you know, the, the Patriots beat them. So he starts flipping them off, you know, as he's heading <laughs> south and they're heading north. He realizes oh, he's going to contribute to their sadness that they just lost the Super Bowl. And now he's, he's getting them back one last time, you know, in a very, in a very mature fashion. So, yeah, ask, ask him that. He'll verify that. It was great. <laughs> okay, for sure. How'd that work out for him? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, I've got I've got one final idea for you before we let you go. Um, let's hire you to be the next chief baseball officer of the Boston Red Sox. You have all the money yeah. that you want to sign anybody you want. Okay, I'll, I'll talk to John Henry. This is no problem. Uh, but realistically, you can only sign one free agent. So who are you signing? Is it Aaron Nola? Blake Snell, Eduardo Rodriguez, or that Shohei Otani guy? Well, I, I understand Otani's probably not going to be a, a consequential pitcher. I'm not counting on that. I'm still signing him just because of the PR that it brings and, and the message to your fans that it brings. And um, they need that. They need to show to the fans that, that ownership cares about them and values them and will will – they used to be in the conversation when the best guys came forward, whether it was Kurt Schilling or Pedro, um, Manny Ramirez, going that goes back to Duquette. Um, you know, when A-Rod was available, they actually acquired him for a few days in 2003. <laughs> you know, they the, so when the biggest names came up, they were serious and they would get them. I mean, Johnny Damon, a couple years earlier, big name free agents. And that was the Red Sox. He always always in the conversation for that. That top talent, Keith Folk, the best best reliever on the, on the market, got him. They were they were players, and that's what they need to be. And Otani sends that message, even if he doesn't pitch again, whatever. Uh, and just the goodwill that would bring, and they they really need that because they've got some young players, and I just think their their uh, their image and, and their relevance in the market has really taken a hit. And uh, I'm sad to see that because you know I'm a, I'm a ball guy going back to the '60s and. And I don't want to see the Sox, you know, kind of fizzle out in this market here. It's too, they're too important. Okay, so there you go. Who should be the Red Sox next chief baseball officer? It's Dan Shaughnessy. Vote for Dan <laughs> Shaughnessy. Yeah. He's signing Otani. Yeah. John Henry's already paying him. It's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think it would work because you, you got you have to talk to each other, and that's not happening. So, yeah, could yeah. be tough, you know. <laughs> right. Hey, Dan, uh, we'll talk to you anytime, okay? Yeah, you so, always, come awesome. Awesome. always come here. This was fun. That's, that's all I got. Enjoy being with you guys. Likewise. Look, let's let's do it again sometime. Um, maybe after the next Red Sox yeah. firing in the middle of the game. Day. Four years from now, and they fire the next guy, we'll do, come back on and do it again. Okay. It's a date. Thank you, Dan. See you guys. Bye-bye. Thanks, Dan. Take care. Tremendous. Bye-bye. 
All right, it's that time again. It is time for listener trivia. Our way of involving you, our favorite listeners in this show. Doug, you know what? We are running out of time this month to get a question before the end of the month. We have not been shut out in a single month all season. Uh, are, you, are you getting worried at all? Well, a little bit, but um, I feel like we um, made a good trade to the trade deadline, and we have uh, a lot of good relief pitching now. So we're, we're good. We are. Okay, good to know. Because I'm, I'm thinking today might be the day. We have a fun question, but I think we have a shot at it. So why don't we welcome in this week's special trivia guest star here to the Starkville Trivia Emporium. It is Nick Pierce. Nick, welcome to Starkville. It is great to have you here. Hey, thanks, guys. Uh, thanks for having me on. Well, we're we're very happy to have you on. And judging by that cap you're wearing, I'm going to guess shrewdly that you're in Arizona and you're like an Arizona-type sports fan. It's a, is that right? Uh, yeah, that would be <laughs> correct. Uh, so... Uh, born and raised in Phoenix. Um, I actually just moved to uh, Kansas City, uh, and I probably am one of the uh, few people to fly an Arizona Diamondbacks flag outside my house in Kansas City. Uh, <laughs> so if you see that, you know that's probably me. Okay, it's a great conversation starter, I'm sure. Um, let me ask you, who, who are you feeling better about these days the Arizona Diamondbacks or those Arizona football Cardinals? <laughs> Man, Trick <without> question. Ky- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Without Kyler, I think uh, Diamondbacks are all the way uh, in this year. Hopefully, they can uh, they can nip a wild card spot. Fingers crossed. Yeah, they're in good position right now. How about that? Who saw that coming? Uh, all right, that's enough of this chit chat. Uh, Nick, time for you to hit us with your question. Are you ready? All right, guys. So since 1996, the year Doug debuted, there have been four pitchers who have reached 2,000 strikeouts and won a World Series MVP. Can you name them? Can we name them? Uh, I think we can. So we need four pitchers who won a World Series MVP award and got to 2,000 strikeouts. Just so I'm clear, does it matter when they got their 2,000th strikeout? Because if it does and they had to have 2,000 before they won, then I would be in trouble, but hopefully not. Uh, No, that's not the case. So just uh, they had a total of 2,000 strikeouts in their playing career. Uh, It doesn't matter when those strikeouts occurred. Mm -hmm. Okay, good. It could could happen even after after the winning the World Series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it. Okay, that helps. All right, so there's one more thing, Nick. Uh, you're probably f- familiar with this, but Glanville has decreed that any question with this many answers, meaning four or more, takes you above the Glanville line. So I'm going to throw this to Doug. I ask this <laughs> every week, I think. How many of these do you think we should have to get for us to say we got the question right? Well, I, I liked what we did. I think it was last week, but... Uh, we, we said, well, is it, can we do five guesses, four answers, or 
less less guesses and get them all. You know, we could, we kind of thought about that. Uh-huh. So I don't know. I mean, I'm open to ideas. I don't mind, you know, five for four or something like that. <laughs> I mean, it could be seven for four since we're talking about World Series here, but that's a little bit much. So uh, yeah, we're, we're we're trying to figure out where you know where we have some some leeway in this whole thing. All right, let, let, let's let, let's have Nick tell us. Yeah. Nick, what what are you comfortable with? Uh, you don't have, like you should you could probably say no. You have to get all four, okay. but then you'll never ask another question. Just so, <laughs> so, how many do you think we should have to get right? You know, I think three out of four would be uh, pretty impressive here. Yeah, uh, would it? Ooh, okay, yeah, that must be tough. Three out of four right. would be pretty good. Three, okay, three so we get four guesses, and we only have to get three. Okay, I I think we can do that. Mm. Because it must be hard. I, like I, I don't know. I'm, like, I've been... I'm getting suspicious. This must be really hard. He was like, "Yeah, three, out. <laughs> one hey, out of four. Get, get four, one out of four. I was like, "Hmm, <laughs> all right, all right, okay." Well, I, you know, I've been to almost all of these World Series yeah. since '96, yeah. so I, I thought of two answers really quick. Okay, uh, Randy Johnson, 2001. Mm-hmm. That seemed about as obvious as it gets, and Cole Hamels mm. in 2008. Uh, I know he didn't get his 2,000 strikeout until way after that World Series, but Nick just said that doesn't matter. So I think that gives us two. Don't tell us yet. Then we just have Don't to settle us. on who, who's left, okay? So uh, mm. Josh Beckett in 2003. Amazing. I know he was World Series MVP. Yeah, because he beat he us, for, I remember. I think, he, I think he pitched. Yes, he did. I think he pitched for 15 years. Is he? Don't you think that guy got the sure. 2,000 strikeouts? Yep. Think about him. Okay. Steven Strasburg, Ooh. 2019. I know he was hurt a lot, mm. but he did have a big strikeout rate when he pitched. Mm. So think about that one. The problem is mm-hmm. it's not that many seasons, right? Debuted in 2014, I think. Mm. Um, and, oh, no, no. he was MVP of Never mind, World 2011. But then he never hardly pitched after 2019. So that's... That's dicey. He missed a lot of time. Tommy and John. He was MVP. Okay, I'm going to say he was probably he MVP did. of that year. Pretty sure he was. Okay. I think he was. All right. Could be wrong. Uh, all right, Madison Bumgarner <laughs> also came to mind, Ooh. but I also thought he was not a huge strikeout guy. Ooh, I didn't okay? think of Mad Bum. So think about him. Mm. And then one more Doug that I thought of. How about Mark? Burley. Oh, I have him on my list. Was he the MVP in 2005? I, I, I feel like he he threw a complete game in game one as a starter, mm. and then he saved the clincher. Ooh. So, Man, um, good one. I, mean, I was a pitching-dominated World Series. Just Okay, just think about that. Ooh. But I, 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 am I, like, I must well, be missing played, somebody. Didn't they, didn't they, did they sweep? How did they? What was the, it? It was a sweep. sweep. Yeah, so. yeah, it was a sweep. Wow. So, yeah, that's a good one. Doug, so, Doug, who are Ooh. we missing? All right. He, well, you got a lot on my list here. I have Hamels. Um, okay, so here I have more questions. So, Randy Johnson, 2001, <laughs> didn't he save the game and come in relief and do... He, 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 right. He won game six as a... St- Starter, right, and then and then he came in and finished Game Seven. Yeah. All right, so that's and won that and won that game as a reliever yep. when Luis Gonzalez did his thing. Yep. All right, so that's one one name I'm throwing. Now, when the bloody sock with Schilling, did he was he MVP? That that was the that was the ALCS. ALCS okay. The, the sock. So he didn't. I, it, they might have been co MVPs. 
in the World Series? Or oh, might have been, but that would still count. Okay, all right. So silly. I would count it. Um, Although, if he, wait, if they're both MVPs, then that sh- then it would make Show an answer also. Wait, who? If if they were co MVPs, yeah. that would also make Showing an answer. But I I think Randy was the MVP. Yeah, Randy won three of the four games they won. Yeah, no, I was thinking Schilling in Boston in that World Series. He didn't win MVP ever in the World Series. Schilling. Uh. N- no. Oh, and his last year with Boston? No. no. No, no, no. Okay. Now, what about this dude, John Lackey? Didn't he do some wild stuff? Like, what in, you're talking about 2002? He's just been around. His rookie year? I don't know. He's just been around. and. I, 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 that was, I mean, that was a, that, so much went on in that World Series. I, he did play a big role. I do not believe he was the MVP. Not, not in Boston. I thought he like relieved and started. Oh. Yeah. You think of like 2013 yeah. or something? I, I don't know. Somewhere. Oh, he wore like a lot of I, I, I think you're over. John Lester. Uh, which World Series? I don't know. I just throwing his name out there. <laughs> uh. <laughs> he definitely wasn't the. He de- definitely was not the MVP in 2016. Uh, uh. Did start a game in the 2007 World Series. Mm. I. I I'm, right. I'm, go- I'm glad I got some good confusing. answers to make you think about it. I'm, like, well, yeah, well, one of, one of the things I, I was trying to think of was 96 was the, the cutoff year. Yeah. Um, and I, 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 I know that Nick said that was the first year of your career. Yeah. And maybe that was why. I also thought it was to keep Tom Glavin yeah. from being an answer. Um, well, but it's also, isn't there, like, uh, Andy Pettit could have been a, a factor that year? I, yeah, I thought about Pettit, somebody, too. Oof, all right. David Cohn. Uh, yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I thought Mariano, he didn't have enough strikeouts. So. And then the only other name I thought of, well, so the so you said Strasburg, because I thought Scherzer, didn't he relieve? I thought he, like, did something like right, Randy Johnson did. In the- uh, well, the, like those starters, Corbin, too, they pitched in relief. They did all kinds of stuff. Right. I, I, I remember Strasburg being the MVP. Okay. That's my recollection. Okay. All right, so we'll so we have, all right, feel good. So Strasburg, Mad Bum, Burley, Lackey, Randy Johnson, Schilling, Randy, Randy and Hamels, I think are. Oh yeah, sure. yeah. And then Strasburg and Beckett were probably the other two I would personally guess. Okay, Strasburg and Beck, yeah, Beckett, yeah. I mean, I I think Beckett's a good answer. I don't know. I I feel like Burley is a good answer. Did he have 2,000 strikeouts? It's kind of a pitch. He pitched forever. He did pitch forever. Okay. All right. So he's saying Randy Johnson. Is that the first name you gave? Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. I must have. All right. Randy Johnson. Um, I'm writing this down here. Hamels. <laughs> right? Beckett. <laughs> right. And Strasburg. And or Burley. Or Burley. But we don't know if Burley was actually the MVP. I don't know. Yeah. He just feels like he's he, he just feels like he could be a stumper. Yeah. You know? Burley and Strasburg. Strasburg, oh boy. What's the issue with Strasburg? You know he was the MVP, right? But Yeah, but he the, think the of all strike, the time he missed. Strikeout totals, yeah. Right, he had Tommy ten, John. 10 years, 200. All the injuries. 200 strikes. But he was on the he was on the injured list what 10 years in a row. All right. So so, right, so, so let's go with Burley. Let's just go with Burley. Burley, Burley, Beckett, Johnson, and Cole Hamels. No, no. Randy, Hamels, Beckett, Burley? Yes. Okay. All right. 
<laughs> let's just guess. Nick, is there any shot that it's Randy Jackson, Cole Hamels, uh, Josh Beckett, and Mark Burley? So you said uh, Randy Johnson, yes. Josh Beckett, yes, Cole Hamels, yes, Mark Burley, yes. yes. Fortunately, that is two out of four. Oh, it's two out of four. Two out of four. Yeah. So that means yeah. Beckett. Beckett didn't get there, and Burley didn't win the MVP. Yeah, uh, that that's correct. Beckett was really close. He was at nineteen hundred something. Oh, uh, oh no! I know, almost there, almost there. Nineteen hundred. Uh, nice. Yeah. Oh, the. Uh, so Randy Johnson, Cole Hamels. Uh, uh, yeah. For oh sure. yeah, yeah. Those are um, yeah. And who are the two we missed? So. Uh, so you were on the right track when you were thinking co-MVP. Uh, Kurt Schilling was co-MVP with ah! Randy Johnson oh. in 2001. Oh I uh, thought the all the Arizona stuff would give that away. <laughs> um, and then the other one uh, was also a former Dimeback, although his uh, tenure with the Dimebacks is nowhere near as famous with, as his uh, tenure with the Giants. It is Mad Bum. Okay, so we named every name right. as we usually do. Um, but Doug, how do we keep talking know. ourselves out of the right answer? How do we stop ourselves from doing that? Nah, I mean, well, we didn't really like go off of our, we didn't like talk ourselves out of the first thought. It was just like, there's a lot of good answers here. I was like, well, yeah, yeah Mad Bum, you know. I mean, I, you know, Mad Bum definitely. But yeah, I guess he did pitch forever. But, you know, so did Burley. So who's the MVP of the White Sox 05? Jermaine Die. Jermaine, Jermaine Die. Okay, then. Here we go. Uh, it was all about the pitching, but Jermaine Die won the MVP. Hey, look. The, the, the good news is whether we get the questions right Strange or wrong, I remember when we used to get them right. The best part of this segment is a part that we haven't even gotten to yet. That is the part where we get out of the way and we bring in the mayor of Starkville, Tim McMaster, to play another sensational play-by-play clip involving this week's answer. So, Tim, what do you got for us this week? I wish I had done more research into Nick's sports fandom because then I definitely would have gone with the D-backs, but I didn't. Instead, I went with the the bad D-back, which is Mad Bum. But what a performance (laughs) uh, back in the 2014 World Series, beating the Royals and closing it out in Game 7 with five scoreless innings. Here's the final out. Salvador Perez, the 2-2. Popped up. Sandoval in foul territory. Giants win! A World Series win for the San Francisco Giants for the third time in the last five years. And their hero, Madison Bumgarner. Their hero, Madison Bumgarner. Let me just tell you a quick story about that game, okay? So after the game, Bruce Boshi says they never intended for Mad Bum to finish the game. Okay, to pitch all those innings uh, just happened. So I saw Dave Rigetti afterwards, and I said, Dave, uh, Bosch said that Bumgarner was not supposed to finish the game. How did he wind up finishing the game? And so Dave Rigetti says to me, well, we decided if he gets in any trouble at all, we're just going to take him out. I said, really? Because you realize the tying run was on third base <laughs> when Salvador Perez came up, right? And he said, oh, yeah, but he wasn't going to give up a hit to that guy. <laughs> so, okay then. So I remember thinking as I was walking back to the press box, 
He gave up a hit to him the previous at bat. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, Nick, great work. Great question. Uh, thank you for joining us in Starkville. Please come back again sometime. Thanks so much, guys. It was a lot of fun. When you get injured, you don't want to wait for answers and options. That's why it may be time to explore the Nano Experience, a revolutionary treatment option designed to help active people get back to the lifestyles they love. Nanotechnology allows surgeons to see inside even the smallest joints and treat orthopedic conditions with a tiny camera and other nano instrumentation, all through a barely there poke hole incision. Wherever you've experienced an injury, whether it be foot and ankle, hand and wrist, shoulder and elbow, knee or hip, nanoarthroscopy can be used to diagnose and treat your condition in an extremely, minimally invasive way. Don't wait to learn about the revolutionary nano experience and how it could help you or someone you know after an injury. Visit arthrex.info slash the athletic. This is not medical advice and is not meant to be a substitute for advice from your physician. Talk with your physician about your health condition, potential surgical risks, and whether Arthrex products are right for you. Postoperative management is patient-specific and dependent upon your physician's assessment. Individual results will vary. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Strange but true. Doug, I have been waiting a week to talk about this. We didn't get to it last week. It's one of the epic strange but trues ever, ever. So, so we're bringing it back uh, in part because I, I just wrote all about it in a weird and wild special at The Athletic a few days ago. So be, before, just to set it up, let me ask you two quick questions. And j- just, give me a, just give me a word or two answer. If you get 23 hits in a nine-inning game, you're guaranteed to win. Am I right, Doug? Yes, you are. It's, uh, you it's like there's a rule, actually, in the uh... – Rule book that once you get 23 hits, you automatically win. Yeah, it must be. Uh, And if you get no hits for Mm -hmm. 10 innings in a game, it's pretty much impossible to win. Am I right? It's impossible. Uh, The only exception is if there is a zombie apocalypse. And, you know, why would that ever happen in baseball? (laughs) That's true. That could never happen. No. Uh, Okay. So as I'm sure you know, uh, those two answers are wrong and wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Because last weekend on back-to-back days, the Red Sox really did get 23 hits in a nine-inning game against the Orioles, and they still lost. So while we're digesting that, the next day, 
the Yankees got no hits against the Brewers for 10 and a third innings. But somehow that day, they did this. 3-2. Drilled to left field and deep. Going back is Taylor. It's over his head. And the Yankees will win the game. Everson Pereira scores. It's a walk-off hit for Higashioka. And the wildest, strangest Sunday afternoon, the Yankees go from being no hit for 10 and a third innings to walking off with a victory. Wait, what? The Yankees won? (laughs) Okay, so 23 hits and lose, but no hits and win? Okay, so what do you think, Doug? Did that break the universe to have those things happen in less than 24 hours? Well, it never breaks the Starkville universe, okay? So that that's impossible. True. That's the beauty of it. We just grow and adapt and sort of reshape the boundaries that actually don't exist. That's the point. There are no boundaries in Starkville. <laughs> uh, so we're coming, you know, we're going to annex all your towns out there, by the way, eventually. Well, that's our goal, world <laughs> and universal domination. Uh, but yeah, man, I mean, it just, within the realm of my career in baseball, it seems impossible. I mean, I've seen crazy stuff, certainly. But, I mean, 23 hits, you're just like, you know, you're trying to like, you're trying to figure out like, okay, how do we end this game? Maybe we can like throw position players just to give them a chance to come back. You're trying to find ways, but, you know, 23 hits is just, that that's an automatic. And then to get no hit. Now, yeah, I know there's been some close games. And, you know, I remember it was a Joe Cowley. He had a no hitter and they like, had seven walks. I mean... Okay, I can get the one nothing accident, double no-hitter. But the fact that this like went into extra innings and then it almost seemed like the Brewers got blown out. You know, it was like, wait a minute, what happened here? It just, <laughs> they, kept, they gave up a run in every right, inning it's like the, at that point. A hit and a run in every inning once they started giving up. Right, there was like mound visits. I was like, what is going on? They didn't use any of them for like... <laughs> so it's like, it was literally like two games happened. It was just like the, the tale of two cities. Uh, and that's perfect for splitting the universe in, in the world that we live in in Starkville. So uh, it was it was crazy. But that catch, by the way, that was you know that was when you were like, oh, the Brewers are absolutely going to win. But it, once again, it wasn't like they weren't the home team. You have the zombie runners. So it was like, well, wait a minute now. Nothing is finalized when you always have these crazy, wacky extra innings. Uh, I mean, you literally. And we were trying to figure out like, wait a minute now. They could they could still be no hit and win the game. Right. Oh, very so you know, I, I'll I'll let you take that part, <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> well, they they kind of were sort of. All right, anyway, um, you, you won't be surprised to hear I have some tidbits on on those games. Uh, so let's just go through it. So just a very quick rundown. First thing, the Red Sox are not the first team to get twenty three hits in a nine inning game and lose. But they were the first team to do that in 93 years. Okay, the Cardinals did it in 1930 in the infamous Baker Bowl in Philadelphia. Uh, go Google Baker Bowl sometime. The right field fence was 280 feet from home plate, and the league slugged 500 for the season. <laughs> that year. Okay, so that should barely count. But anyway, what do you think the record was? Since then, of all teams that got 23 hits or more in a nine-inning game. Ooh. You want to guess, Doug? You want to just well, take- it's and oh. I'm going to just start there. Uh, <laughs> I don't know the first part of that. Yeah. 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 So how about 241 <laughs> and oh? 
So the Red Sox broke a 241 game winning streak. And I can't even like make my brain like understand that. A 241 game winning streak is essentially a season and a half of never losing. But then they lost, but again they got 23 hits. So that was a good one. I feel like that streak okay, will the continue next... too. By the way, it's it's going to start over and you know, five hundred. Yeah, what, like one of the fun things there is there hadn't even been a, a game of any length where a team got twenty three hits and lost in over forty years. The last one was a twenty inning game. <laughs> okay, so it was hard to do that. But then, all right, the next day we had the Yankees game. Doug, here's an even stranger but truer stat. How many teams in history have taken a no-hitter into the 11th inning and lost, Doug? Would you believe that answer is all of them? (laughs) Okay, this is true. The Brewers were the fourth team ever to do it, and none of them won the game. So is that the strangest but truest stat ever? It feels like yeah, it. That doesn't make any sense. But I don't know. It's, it's sort of like, is, is it a curse to have like no hits and then get into extra innings? It's, it sounds like a curse. Um, and well, and when you have zombie <laughs> apocalypses, right? I mean, these, these runners come out of nowhere and then they just appear and you can see them. So I guess they're not ghost runners anymore. And then, you know, and it's, you know, I would have loved if he stole third, the ball goes in the left field and without a batter even putting the ball in play. <laughs> like, that's like, oh my goodness, they threw a no-hitter. We were all set up for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, you could do it in a, quote, perfect right. game. We've been through that, <laughs> right? right? Exactly. Uh, like, well, hey, lost in the middle of all that was, there was a Yankees first. Nobody noticed except me. Giancarlo Stanton in the, uh, let me think, the 12th inning. He led off with a two-run Game-tying homer. It's the first two-run game-tying homer leading off an inning in the history of the Yankees because, of course, that used to be impossible. But this game proved that nothing is impossible. Uh, Nothing. But uh, just for the record, uh, let's just make sure of this. You have never personally done either of those things. Am I right? In any level, Little League, anywhere, been on a team that got 23 hits and lost or on a team that got no hits and won? Oh, uh, wow. I don't think that's ever happened. I mean, well, Little League, Little League was a little weird, though. So I know. Uh, T-ball. Well, T-ball well a fun little fun factoid. I need to find this article. But at one in high school, uh, I pitched against Ron Valone. He was at Bergenfield. And we I think we threw, like, I got the only hit, I think, of the game. And we won, like, one nothing, And I threw a no-hitter. It was something like that. So I will look it up to confirm. But it was, like, back and forth. And uh, and so in that case, I think we I don't know if we went into extras, but it was just like, OK, I can see that, you know, it reminds me of the um, Frank Viola. Wasn't it Frank Viola, Ron Darling game he wrote about in the in the complete game where they St. John's versus Yale. And they went like I think they both threw no hitters into like the 10th, 11th. Inning. I forgot who won. I think mm-hmm. I think yeah, right. Yale might have won. So, um, yeah, I'll pull that. I'll pull that clip and, and post it once I find it. But yeah, so weird stuff like that, you know, a little bit more familiar. Maybe in high school, you get some strange things in Little League, of course. Um, but yeah, I've, I've never recalled any game where, first of all, I, I don't think I've been, I don't think I was on a team that got no hit at once in 1992 in A-ball. And that was from a scoring change. 
we got no hit. But I've never been on a team that got no hit. No hit. I never like you're talking about professionally. Really? And I was never. I've never been on a team that threw a no hitter that I can recall either. So that just was not part of my professional life. <laughs> so, so uh, I don't know. It's it's it's, it's crazy. But twenty three hits. No, I mean there's well the Phillies. Okay, the Phillies Cubs game that twenty six to twenty three. I don't know what did that turn out to be. That was that was that was also on this list. Okay. Right. So yeah. I do remember that game. That was one of the. That was one. You remember no, that game? That was nineteen. No, not remember. I just recall. I remember the box. You think of that? Seven, wait, you think of the twenty three twenty two game? Yeah, at Wrigley. That's a different with game. Mike Schmidt. Hey. Yeah, that's a different okay. game. Okay. There was also a twenty six twenty three game at Wrigley, like a hundred years. Oh ago. no 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 the twenty. And that is on that list, but the twenty three twenty two game is not on the list because it was not a nine inning game. Yeah, uh, extra innings. Yeah, and uh, how many hits okay. did these teams get yeah. in that game? I got to look that up. It wasn't a nine inning game. Yeah. It doesn't apply. Yeah, but of, of any <laughs> length. Was it a strange game? Yeah. yeah, it was. Okay, it was a really strange game. But look, Doug, you said this a minute or so ago. Baseball makes no sense, and as we have said here many times, that is the best thing about it. <laughs> okay, so that is going to do it for this week's show. We'll be bringing you podcast magic just like this. All season long on the Athletic Baseball Show, which is available in its entirety, absolutely free, everywhere you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to read any of the tremendous baseball stories we write in The Athletic every day, including me explaining how it's possible to get 23 hits in a game and lose, um, I can tell you where to do that. Just go to theathletic.com slash baseball show and if you're a new subscriber, you can sign up for a one-year subscription for just $1 a month for the next 12 months. $1! That's what I said, $1! But also remember, you too can be part of this podcast. Uh, every show, we pick some fun listener trivia question. Then, that lucky listener gets to join us right here and prove once again, there's almost no baseball trivia question we can't get wrong. So how could you join us? You could always email us at stuckville at theathletic.com. Uh, you could check out my Facebook fan page. Uh, we've gotten quite a few fun questions there this season. Or you can do it Nick Pierce did today. And you could X at us on the site we used to call Twitter. So, uh, Doug, if someone wants to X you a question... It, it, is that still doable? Yeah. Right. First of all, I think of Wakanda forever. When when I, you know the X, I just it, that's my first reaction. Uh, they they apparently need to collaborate on that. Uh, I'm still at the same place. I mean, it's if it's Xing or it's something. My wife is totally baffled. Like, what? How do you X somebody? It's already a verb. It's already a term. A ger You know, we can't have that. So uh, anyway, <laughs> just put my name in there after the at symbol. I think it still works. D o u g g l a n b i l l e. That's it. Yeah, I'm at Jason S T, but that's Jason with a Y. So J A Y S O N S T. You don't have to spell my whole name like you have to do with Glanville. And just remember, hashtag those questions, hashtag Starkville QS. So Doug, thanks for playing. Thanks to Dan Shaughnessy. <laughs> thanks to Dan Shaughnessy for visiting us. Thanks to Nick Pierce for the great trivia question. Thanks to the mayor of Starkville, Tim McMaster, for producing us and putting up with us. And Doug and I will see you next week. On, On Stuckville! Stuckville.
Starkville. Starkville. <laughs>